All right, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 4. No, it's good. Using this mic here, so. Boy, this wind, I'll tell you what. About to blow us away out here. Philippians chapter 4. And I know uh, you know a few verses in Philippians chapter 4, I'm sure. Uh, and maybe not a, a uh, typical Mother's Day verse, but you'll see where we're going with it here in just a few minutes. I came across some things that, that mom would never say. And uh, maybe, you, maybe your mother would, but I know my mom wouldn't. How on earth can you see the TV sitting so far back? Your mom would never say that, would she? She always told you, don't sit so close. You can't, you know, how can you see when you're sitting so close to it? Here's another one mama would never say. Just leave all the lights on. It makes the house look cheerful. <laughs> no, would never say that. How about this one? Let me smell that shirt. Yeah, it's good for another week. Oh, my mom would never say that. Maybe yours would. How about this one? Go ahead and keep that stray dog, honey. I'll be glad to feed and walk him every day. Things mama would never say. How about this one? Well, if Timmy's mama says it's okay, that's good enough for me. Here's another one mama would never say. The curfew is just a general time to shoot for. It's not like I'm running a prison around here. How about this? I don't have a tissue with me. Just use your sleeve. <laughs> Things mama would never say. How about this one, the last one? Don't bother wearing a jacket. The wind chill is bound to improve. Things mama would never say. And I know that kind of brings you back to your childhood when you hear some things like that. But today's the day to honor mothers. We obviously wouldn't be here without them. I thank you to all the mothers who are here today. The best place that you could be as a mother is in church. Uh, whether you're starting today is your first time, whether you've been in church all your life, this is the place to be. This is the place not only for yourself, but for your children. Uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, last year at this time, we were spending the first Mother's Day of our lives without our mom, and that was a tough day. Um, if you've lost your mother, then you know that feeling. There's nothing that can replace uh, the hole that's left by a mother who's gone. And I sympathize with you this morning. So if your mother is still here, take, take time to tell her that you love her. Call her up while you still can. Text her while you can still hear back from her if she does that. Because I'll tell you this, that one day, when you most wish that you could, you won't be able to do that anymore. And you may never know when that day is going to come. You know, there's a lot of amazing mothers. And I was always amazed at what my mom was able to do. It seemed like everything she did was exactly right. She was very artistic, and so... Uh, you know, I, I never got the artistic gene as far as being able to draw or anything like that. Uh, and so, you know, we'd do projects for school and some of these other kids would come in and they'd be perfect. You can tell their moms did it. <laughs> and we'd come in and of course ours looked like we did it because we did it. And, uh, but you know, if we ever asked our mom for help, I'm telling you, it just, she just did it right. And I don't know how she got it, but everything that she did seemed like she just uh, you know, had those things exactly right. And perhaps we got it from her and my dad too, but I, I have the mindset that I, I, I can't pay somebody to do what I could do for myself um, or what I could do for a, a whole lot cheaper for myself. And that's, you know, that's where this whole idea of building these tables for me uh, came in. It, it just kind of blossomed from there. I wanted, a, I wanted a farmhouse table for my wife. And so I got to looking around and I said, man, I think I can do that. So I I built her a farmhouse table and it went pretty well. So I said, man, I can build these for other people. 
And I started doing that, and I, you know, I sell them on Facebook Marketplace and stuff like that. But my mom was the ultimate DIYer, if you want to call her that. She could figure out a way to make just about any situation work. And uh, she she cut eight heads of hair every couple of weeks. Uh, she patched holes in clothes. She sewed on hundreds of buttons. I don't even know how many. She had she had a sewing kit. Everybody knew exactly where it was. Go get my sewing my sewing basket. You know box of buttons in there too or the little little jar of buttons but she made she made big boys out of leftovers and uh, she still managed to help us all through school as a taxi driver to sports and everywhere else and and all while helping my dad run the business that they own um, there's a lot of people who claim to be self-made men self-made women uh, but for the most part what your mama did is what made you who you are and obviously you know uh, that's not taken away from dads at all. This is not dad's day, so they'll have to deal with that and, and maybe get it later. But perhaps you know somebody who is a DIYer, do-it-yourselfer, uh, can never you know, pay somebody to do something that they feel like they could do themselves. I like to consider myself in that category, but a, a DIYer has the ability to, to maybe visualize a project and they, you know, they, they possess the practical know-how to realize that vision. Uh, maybe they need a little bit of help, but they can do it themselves for the most part. And with their experience and with, you know, using the tools that they have and everything else, they're able to create and make just about anything and usually make it work and look pretty good when they're done with it. But the truth is that most DIY projects are not actually things that the majority of people can do all by themselves. You know, sure, they may be the ones holding the paintbrush. They may be the ones that are, uh, you know, holding the staple guns and all that stuff. But before, before they pick them up, they got to watch tutorials, they got to read blogs, and halfway through, they got to get somebody else to come over and finish the project for them because they completely messed it up. And usually, it ends up even in, in even a worse situation. You know, uh, maybe you've seen this sign if you you walk into a, I don't know, I guess I've seen it like in a, in garages and stuff like that. But you walk in there and said, you know. Um, basically somewhere along the lines of you know this is my price per hour it's 50 bucks an hour if I do it it's 75 bucks an hour if you do it uh, if I do it and you're helping me and it's a hundred bucks an hour if you start the project then I have to come in and fix it and finish it for you uh, and that's you know that's just kind of the way that is with a lot of people who are do-it-yourselfers but I'm in a lot of lows so much I you know I could probably uh, give give a lot of the Lowe's workers a run for their money about telling them where stuff is in there uh, and I know a lot of you are the same way, but even after all this, you know, um, their projects many times with the DIYers often end up being on the more rustic side of things. By the way, that's all you got to call it if, if it doesn't turn out right. Just call it rustic and sell it that way, right? Everybody wants things that are rustic nowadays. Uh, oh, this is a rough cut table, you know, this is what it's supposed to look like, right? Uh, we, 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 we tend to have those things. Call it rustic. It works magic. But as crafty as creative as, as some people may or may not be, there's no such thing as a DIY Christian. No such thing as a do-it-yourself Christian. The Bible says there in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Now, this is just by way of introduction, but first of all, there's no possible way that you can save yourself. You need the only thing that works for salvation, and that's the power of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, 
For there, is, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. The only way to heaven is by trusting Christ as your personal Savior. It's through Him and through Him alone. Jesus Christ plus nothing minus nothing. No amount of good works or righteous deeds can get you into heaven and no amount of sin or evil deeds can keep you out of heaven if you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. It doesn't matter if you come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. It doesn't matter what your past is, good or bad. If you come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith, then He's the one that does all the work and there's nothing that you can do to save yourselves. But just as there's no way to earn salvation through our own power, there's no way that we can live the Christian life and be truly Christ-like and be truly successful as a Christian on our own. And I want to give you some helps this morning that will apply to our Christian lives and preach to you this message, no such thing as a DIY Christian. No such thing as a DIY Christian. Let's pray and then we'll look at a couple things this morning. Father, we love you. I thank you again for the opportunity we have to be here this morning. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts through the message, that you'd give us exactly what we need to help us to rely on you, to help us to depend on you for, our, for our, our Christian walk and for our success in the Christian life. And that you'd use us to be what you want us to be. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. First thing I want to say is this. We need godly counsel. We need godly counsel. Now when it comes to building tables, I had to learn the hard way what works and what doesn't. I was following a set of plans uh, easy DIY plans for my first build and one of the things that they said is you put everything together with pocket hole screws and showed all the diagrams and everything else I did it exactly the way that they said it was supposed to be done turned out looked great put it in my own house and like I told you I started making tables after that and I had made five or ten tables and finally I get a message one day from somebody that said hey I hate to bother you with this but my tabletop cracked all the way down the middle is there anything that I can do to fix it? And I started thinking, why would the tabletop crack all the way down the middle? I did everything exactly the way that the plan said they were supposed to be done. And so the first thing I did, I follow, I follow a, a decent number of people on Instagram, like woodworkers on Instagram, and you know they have a lot of good advice, and they have a lot of projects and things that they do, and I kind of use some of those for examples and things. And one of those in particular, I, I sent a message to, and I said, Here's the pictures they sent me. The table's cracked all the way down the middle. What do I what do I do? And, you know, I told them that, you know, what I had done was use pocket hole screws. I followed the the instructions. I did exactly what it said to do in these plans that I was following and the and you know what the first thing they said to me was? Never use pocket hole screws. You can't use pocket hole screws to put pieces of wood together like that. <laughs> And here I am now, now I've done five or ten of these tables and I'm finding out that you're not supposed to use pocket hole screws because it doesn't allow the wood to move. The wood's going to move no matter what. If you use pocket hole screws to put it together, when it starts to move, it's just going to crack the board right down the middle of the table and that's exactly what happened. And I had to learn the hard way that, you know, uh, tables have to move. They're going to move. And so now, I've, you know, I, that, that sent me all the way back to the drawing board. And you know that the sick feeling that you get in your stomach when I'm like, no, now what do I do? You know, I've built all these tables that, that, that are, I've done the exact same way. And so that sent me back to the drawing board. And I started doing a lot of research and watching a lot of videos. And I finally got to the point where I am now where I, I use tenon and, you know, mortise and tenon and allow the wood to move and everything else. But it takes a while to get there. I had to, I had to really seek out some advice. I had to ask people who had been there, who had done that before, exactly what I was supposed to do. 
You see, the same thing is true in our Christian life. There's safety in counsel, both for a DIYer and for a Christian. Uh, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 14, where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 24 and verse 6, for by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war. And in multitude of counselors, there is safety. One of the smartest moves you can make is to seek advice from those who have already accomplished what you're trying to accomplish in your Christian life. That may be your pastor. That may be somebody who is a, who is a, a, a godly Christian in the church, especially older men and ladies, people who have been there, people who have done that, people who have lived the Christian life, people who have accomplished much for Christ in their life. Those are the, those are the people, by the way, who should be our heroes, not these sports figures and Boy, I tell you what, we've certainly seen the value of, of who should be being paid the millions and who should be making hundreds, right? All these nurses and, and doctors and everybody else who are really out there on the front lines. And not that they're not making any money, but they're not the ones that are out there signing multi-million dollar contracts. And you see who's really essential, right? Certainly we like sports and I miss, I miss the, the sports and all of that stuff. But you see that they were able to drop off the face of the earth for two months and the world went on without them, didn't they? Christians, older Christians, dead Christians, those should be our heroes. They should be the one that we're modeling our lives after. By the way, the best heroes are dead heroes because they can't make any mistakes. You start, you put somebody up there and you idolize them and, and, and you start to lift them up on a pedestal. All you're doing is setting them up for them to fall. And boy, how many people fall after them when that happens because they're just devastated. If that can happen to him, how can I do this in my Christian life? How can I live for God? How can I accomplish anything for God if he fell, right? But those are the people that we should be trying to model our, our lives after. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Those who follow Christ should be the ones who we're going to counsel for. Those who follow Christ and who have accomplished things for Christ should be the ones that we are going to for godly advice and godly wisdom and godly counsel. We can't do this on our own. We need godly counsel. But the second thing is we need godly examples. Boy, where would we be without tutorials, right? I know probably everybody sitting here has gone onto YouTube and watched a tutorial video about how to do fill in the blank because it seems like they got a video for everything on YouTube, don't they? Being able to see another person's initial planning, their creative process, their, their final product, it's, it's, also, it's, it's often very essential for us being able to reproduce it. I know it's that way for me. I've created some things, but I like to watch other people do it first. And a lot of times all I got to do is kind of watch the beginning of the video, watch the end of the video to see how it turned out. And I'm like, okay, I, I know what they did there and I can go do it myself. But to see someone else do it instantly puts me at ease. And most of the time, you know, I don't even have to watch the whole video, but to see somebody else kind of going through that process, all right, I can do this. That gives me the confidence I need to undertake that project myself. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 6, if you will. While you're turning over there, I want, you to, I want to read to you Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 17. Brethren, Paul speaking, be followers together of me and mark them which walk which walk so as ye have us for an example. Paul is saying, we are, we are trying to be as much as we can a godly example to you. Follow us. 
We're living our life following Christ so that you have somebody as an example that you can follow. Now look what, look what the, the writer of Hebrews, many people consider it to be the Apostle Paul, but Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 10 says this, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. Why do you think we have passages like Hebrews chapter 11, commonly called the hall of faith in the Bible? Why did, why did God decide that it was necessary to take an entire chapter and, and go through person after person after person and give us examples of how they lived their lives, mostly in faith, but how they lived their lives following after Jesus Christ? It's because we should be following godly examples because we can't do this on our own. Boy, and to see somebody else, boy, there's a successful Christian. That's what I want to be like. That's what I want to accomplish. What are they doing in their life? What are they accomplishing to help me get where I want to be? They're godly examples. And, and it's, there's nothing, of course, our, our model should be Jesus Christ, and we shouldn't be comparing ourselves to others. But Paul said very, very plainly, be ye followers of me as I am a follower of Christ. There's nothing wrong with, in fact, we should be following those who are godly examples in our lives. We can learn a lot by watching seasoned men and women of God who have been where we are and who have lived their lives for His glory. And by the way, that's why we need to be in church. That's why you need to have your kids in church. That's why we need to have, that's why we need to be, to be, be together as a family. Every opportunity we get, every time the doors are open, we should be there. And oh, well, we got to go to church again. They're doing this again. They're doing this. Why do we do that? It's because there's a lot of godly examples at church that you can follow and that your kids can follow. And I can speak for everyone and, and loudest for myself when I say that I'll be the first to admit that nobody's perfect. Just because you go to church doesn't mean that everybody around you is living a perfectly Christian life. And we make mistakes and we sin and we mess up. But, by and large, you're going to find a whole lot better examples among those godly men and women at church than you're going to find watching television. You're going to find a whole lot more godly examples in church than you are going to be watching the, the, the musicians up there on the stage, than you are going to be watching things on the internet and everything else. And, and I'm not saying necessarily that all of those things are wrong. If you're watching things on television that are wholesome and, and, and fine, then, then go for it. If you're looking at things on the internet like YouTube you know, DIY videos and stuff like that, go for it. I'm not saying that those things are inherently wrong, but I am saying that when you have an opportunity to be in church and to have your children in church and to have them around godly examples who are going to live a life that's showing them how they should grow up and live, showing you how you should, uh, can be helped in living your Christian life, then we have a whole lot better chance of doing what we want to do and what we need to do for God when we're following those godly examples. You need church and you need the godly examples that are there. And mothers, since that's who we're talking to this morning, in particular, there's a lot of things that we could say that would be a godly example, but I think one of the best things that we can say a, a, a godly mother will do is to be a mother of prayer. One of the greatest things that they can be an example of is in this area of prayer. The storm was raging and this captain realized uh, that the ship was sinking fast and he called out just loudly as he could to his crew, anybody here know how to pray? One of the men stuck, uh, you know, you know, uh, spoke up and he said, Hi, Captain, I know how to pray. 
The captain said, good, you pray while the rest of us put on our life jackets. We're one short. And you know, that's the way a lot of us look at prayer. Prayer is not just, it's, it's so much more than thanking the Lord for food. Prayer is so much more than asking God to help you before you go into a stressful situation or asking God to help you when you're in the middle of a stressful situation. It's getting a hold of God to call your children's name in prayer. Boy, I bet you that guy really hoped that he, and it's a joke, obviously, but he was, I, I bet you anything, he was hoping that he was on praying ground with God that day. That's how we should live our lives. But mothers can be such a, such a godly example in prayer. Prayer is begging him to, ch to help your children live for him. One of the most notoriously bad characters in New York, and this was back in the late 18, early 1900s, was a man named Orville Gardner. He trained prize fighters, and he, you know, that was back in the day when all of that stuff was banned. And he was a companion of all sorts of just hard characters. In fact, his reputation was so bad that he was called Awful Gardener. That was his name. That's what everybody called him, Awful Gardener. And he had a little boy that he loved dearly, and that little boy died. Shortly after that boy died, he was standing at a bar in New York, uh, in, in New York, in a saloon, surrounded by a number of his just wicked companions. The night was sweltering, and so he stepped outside of the saloon to get a little bit of fresh air. And he looked up in the sky, and there was the North Star just shining brightly. And he stood looking at the star, and he said to himself, I wonder where my little boy is tonight. And then a thought came to him, just as quick as that thought about where his little boy was, wherever he is, you're never going to see him again unless you change your life. And that man, as horrible and wicked as he was, hurried from that saloon to the room where he knew his godly mother was. He went into that little room and asked his mother to pray for him, and she did pray for him, and she led him to Christ. He went home where he kept a jug of whiskey. He didn't dare to keep it, but he didn't know what to do with it, and so he grabbed that and he rode across the river to a little island, and he stood there contemplating what, was, what he was going to do with that whiskey, and he set it on a rock and he knelt down, and afterwards he said that he fought that jug of whiskey for a long time. God gave him the perfect deliverance, but he didn't know what he should do with the jug. He didn't dare to break it lest the fumes that came out of that thing would set him wild. He knew it would drive him crazy to smell the fumes from that alcohol that he had become so accustomed to. He didn't dare leave it. He didn't want somebody else to get it. So finally what he did was he dug a hole and he pushed that thing in down there uh, into the hole and, and covered it back over with his foot. He became a mighty preacher of the gospel after he left that island a free man. It was through listening to him preach that Jerry McCauley, he was a convict turned preacher. He was the founder of McCauley Water Street Mission. He was set to thinking about what he had talked about in his message and he ended up becoming a preacher of the gospel and led many other people to Christ as well. But it all came down to the fact that that man, as wicked as he was, knew that he had a godly mother. He knew that his mother was the one that he could go to that would pray for him. And God changed his life. See, we need godly counsel. We need godly examples, and most importantly, we need God. We need God. Our Lord is the original creator. You know, sometimes pride, sin, that nature deludes us into thinking that we can build something on our own for ourselves. But in order to, to ever make anything worthwhile out of our lives, the maker of heaven and earth has to be central to our plans. Oh, we think we can just go out there and do it on our own. We think we can go out there and be the Christian that God wants us to be on our own. It'll never happen. 
We need God. We need God. How arrogant we often are to think that we're capable of creating anything in our own power. It's only by trusting the master. He's got the skill. He's got the experience. He's got the vision that we lack, that, that we can ever build anything that's going to last. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Revelation 4.11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and power and honor. For Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Don't you understand? It's not about us. It's all about Him. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. I think it's so ironic. But Steph Curry obviously became really popular after they won the different NBA championships and all of his stuff. Plays for the Golden State Warriors, and I think he tries to make a little throwback to being a Christian. I don't know if he grew up in a Christian family or whatever. But on the side of his shoes that he sells, you know what it says? I can do all things. I can do all things. Mr. Curry, you're missing a huge part. I can do all things through Christ. And the problem is that even many of us as Christians get to the point where we think that we can do anything we set our minds to. Oh, all you got to do is believe in yourself. All you got to do is, is, is work hard and all you got to do is try and you'll get there. You can do it. And I'm not, I'm not discouraging that message. Many people quit before they get to the finish line when if they had just stuck it out a little bit longer, they can accomplish things that would have been great. But I'm not talking about in the physical sense. I'm talking about in the spiritual sense. It doesn't matter if you're uh, hiking Mount Everest. If you do, it doesn't matter if you're playing basketball and trying to be successful in the NBA. It doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're trying to live the Christian life. I can do all things, but it doesn't stop there. I can do all things through Christ. We need God. Let me tell you this story and we'll be done. Beautiful young mother lived in New York City. Seemed like everything originates in New York City. But this young mother lived in New York City and she returned to the building where her little infant daughter lay asleep. And when she got back there, the building was actually in flames and the fire department was there and they implored her not to go into the building but she knew that her daughter was in there and she ran into that building. And she saved her daughter's life but in the process she was burned very badly. This was a long time ago and so obviously the surgery was not what it could be it, what, what, it, what it became, and she was so severely burned that her face was just horribly disfigured for life. When she looked at her face in the glass for the first time after it was healed, she was shocked at her disfigurement, but she was comforted by the fact that when her little girl grew up, she would appreciate the, the sacrifice that her mother had made to rescue her. And that little child did grow up, and she grew up to be a young woman of just uncommon beauty. And one day there was an excursion up the river and so both the mother and the daughter went. And this girl was beautiful. She was on the front deck. She was surrounded by a host of admirers just laughing and talking and, and wanting you just generally to be her friend because she was beautiful. And this disfigured mother was on the rear of the deck doing some things in the back. And 
The mother had a reason to go to the front of the deck to talk to her daughter. She went up to where her daughter was at and a young man asked the beautiful young girl, who is that hideous looking woman? And in a low tone, the beautiful daughter said, I don't know. The words were not so low that the mother caught them and that her loving heart was broken by just the gross indifference and the gross ingratitude of the daughter for whom she had sacrificed so much. We shudder at the thought of such awful ingratitude. But are we not of a whole lot more gross ingratitude to our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He was horribly disfigured for us. The Bible says his visage was so marred that you couldn't even tell that he was a man. His body was so broken and so beaten that you couldn't even hardly recognize who he was hanging up on that cross. And yet, how many today are ashamed of him and say, I don't know him. I don't want people to associate me with him, they'll think that I'm some crazy Christian. They'll think that I'm one of these far-right wackos that wants to do nothing but shove the Bible down somebody's throat. I don't know him. When we try to live this life on our own, when we try to do things our own way, we're essentially telling the world, I don't know him. He doesn't belong to me. On the contrary, when we realize that we're nothing, when we really do nothing without Him, when we take everything we have and everything that we are and throw it upon the rock, we're telling the world that I'm not ashamed of Christ. I'm not ashamed to be called one of His. I'm not a do-it-yourself Christian. I've thrown my eternity upon Him when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. And that was only the very beginning. That was deciding to live the Christian life. That was deciding to do this project that we call the Christian life. And I die to myself daily as I continue to throw myself at His feet day after day. I need Him. Because you see, there's no such thing as a DIY Christian. Won't you stamp out your foolish pride? Won't you stop trying to do it alone? Won't you stop trying to be something apart from who Jesus Christ is in and through you? What does a mirror do? A mirror gives you back exactly what you put into it. And what we ought to be to a godless, Christless world is that when somebody looks at us, they don't see us. They see the reflection of Christ. Isn't that what a Christian is? Isn't a Christian a little Christ? That's what we ought to be. We ought to be peculiar. We ought to be different. Like the Bible says, we ought to be zealous of good works. That's what a Christian does. That's what a Christian is. We ought to look different than the world. We ought to act different than the world. We ought to give them an alternative to what they see every single day. If we're not offering them something different than what the world is offering them every day, then what's the point of even being a Christian? If we're not offering them anything different than the world, then what are we?
we've talked about this verse quite a few times, and I'm done in the last couple weeks because we went through the Sermon on the Mount and everything else. But the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Then will he say to them, Depart from me. I never knew you. I think that there's going to be a lot of people who think that they're Christians because they get up and worship God. They get up and they sing songs with His name in it. They walk around and they talk about Jesus and they believe that Jesus died on the cross and that He rose again and all of those things. But they've never placed their entire faith and trust and turned in repentance to Jesus Christ as their only Savior. Because they're DIY Christians. Ah, as long as I throw Jesus' name in there, then it's good, right? As long as I give a nod to the old man upstairs, that's good, right? There's going to be a lot of people that stand before God someday that are going to be so surprised to find out that he never even knew who they were. I don't want to be a DIY Christian. I don't want to try to do this alone because I've realized this. I can't. I can't. Oh, sure, you can play the game for a while. You can fool a lot of people for a while. But the only one that matters will never be fooled. Once you realize this morning that you need godly counsel, once you realize that you need godly examples, once you realize above all that you need God, there is no such thing as a DIY Christian. We can't do this alone. Won't you throw yourself on Christ? Won't you give everything that you have and everything that you are to Christ? He's the one that can make something beautiful out of it. Something beautiful. Something good. All my confusion, He understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life. Father, we love you. We thank you for how good you are to us. I thank you for allowing us the opportunity to accept you as our Savior. It doesn't make us better than anybody else around us, but it makes us safe. It should help us as Christians to live lives that are pleasing to you. Pray that you'd help us as Christians to not try to do this on our own. Oh, it's hard enough to go through life, let alone to try to go through life without you. I pray that if there is somebody here this morning that does not know you as their personal Savior, that they would accept Jesus Christ today. But beyond that, for those who are saved, God, I pray that you'd help us to quit trying to do this alone, that we'd get rid of our foolish pride, that we'd throw ourselves back on you, that we'd become people of the Word, that we become people of prayer, that we become people who are seeking out godly counsel and, and, and following the godly examples that you've put into our lives to help us to become exactly what you want us to be. God, I pray that you'd help us to be the godly examples that other people need to see in us. God, if a decision needs to be made this morning, I pray that it would. Thank you for what you do in Jesus' name.